Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I've had a really good week. I was thinking about that earlier, just thinking about recording, and I was like, wow, I've had a good week, and nothing's gone on. It's just been a good week. I don't know. I think the weather, being outside, all of that is really helping my serotonin. Also, pills help yeah. my serotonin levels. Right. Well, hey, hey. Whatever it takes. It all and works I'm, together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm so happy to hear that you've had a great week. I, I don't want to bring you down, but I do want to remind you that we are recording early and it is only Wednesday, so there's still time for things Mandy! to go wrong. <laughs> Why would you do this to me? Oh my gosh. Did we change personalities for today? This is not good. I've been in, yeah, this week hasn't been terrible, but it's been one of those weeks where every single day this week, I have thought that it was a day ahead. So like yesterday, I thought it was Wednesday. Today, I've been thinking it's Thursday all day. So like, that's always a bummer when you get to where it's actually Thursday and you think it's Friday and you're like, oh man, like it's actually not Friday. Yeah. So I've had one of those kind of weeks, but yeah, it has been pretty, pretty uneventful. Uh, Just, you know. That's truly how I think. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, it's been nice outside. We've been outside. I keep talking about outside. Apparently, that's all it takes for me to be happy. (laughs) Yeah. But nothing really exciting has gone on, but nothing terrible. So I'm basically just waiting for like an anvil to fall on my head when I walk out to my van or something. No. (laughs) 
So if you don't hear this on Tuesday, the anvil situation likely happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So we are back this week with part two of the story that we started to tell last week in part one of our episode on Lori Bembenek. Well, it's not really on Lori Bembenek. This is a story about the murder of Christine Schultz. And so we are going to continue on with part two this week. I'm very excited to get into it because as we said last week, this story really deserved to be done in two parts because the things yeah. that happened. Yeah. So the things that happened after Lori Bembenek was arrested, there was just so much to it that we needed to give it all the attention that uh, it really deserved. So in part one of our crazy story on the murder of Christine Schultz, we heard a lot of crazy and sometimes confusing details. So before we get into part two, we're going to quickly just go over a recap of what we talked about last week in part one. So we are all up to speed. So we left off last week with the arrest of Lori Bembenek, who was being accused in the shooting death of Christine. And Christine was Lori's new husband's recent ex-wife. So on the surface, this looks kind of like the stories that we've heard before, where complicated relationship issues end up leading to a murder. But in this case, there were some other interesting things to consider. At the time Christine was murdered, Lori Bembenek was 22 years old and had recently been fired from her job on the Milwaukee police force for allegedly smoking pot at a concert. So this was an allegation that was actually never proven, but she and another officer named Judy were both fired from the force for this incident. I truly cannot get over the fact that she's 22. I know we talked about it last week. I can't week, either. But every time it's mentioned, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so much going on to be 22 years old. This is a whole life you've lived before you're 22. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah, it is amazing. So Lori was fighting her termination. As we said before, Lori had accomplished a few different things already by the time she was 22, and she was really into this career as a police officer. She really wanted to make this work. It was something she really wanted. So she was fighting her termination, and she ended up exposing some photos of fellow officers on the force that were naked and half naked, and they were partying at this public event at a pub. And this spurred an investigation into the department and whether or not Lori was terminated as a result of discrimination against her. So shortly after she was fired, Lori ended up marrying another officer from the force named Stuart Schultz. Stuart was newly divorced from Christine Schultz. And I mean, they were really newly divorced. They had only been divorced for about three months when Stuart and Lori got married. So Stuart and Lori were struggling financially due to the amount of money that he was giving Christine in child support, plus he was still paying half the mortgage on their old home that they shared together. In the middle of all of this, an intruder breaks into Christine's house in the middle of the night, ties her up, and shoots her before fleeing. The investigation was handled differently really right from the get-go in this case, which opened the door for a lot of questions about why Lori was pinpointed as the suspect and whether or not the Milwaukee police force actually botched or fudged this investigation due to some kind of animosity towards Lori about the internal investigation into the department. Nevertheless, Lori was eventually arrested in the murder after her only alibi was that she was at home sleeping during the time the murder took place. And that's really where we left off last week with Lori being arrested. But as I said, there is still so much more to this story, and we're going to dive right into it right now. So Lori was arrested on June 21st, 1981, but it wouldn't be until the following year that she was preparing to go to trial. The jury selection for her case began on February 22nd, 1982. 
And Milwaukee newspaper was quoted as saying that the trial was, quote, one of the most sensational in recent history, compared by many to a daytime soap opera, end quote. And you'll see why. It's bananas. <laughs> so the prosecution's case was that Lori killed Christine over money. She felt that, according to them, that Alfred was paying her too much money between paying for the mortgage and paying child support. Prosecutors theorized that the shooting was unplanned. They felt that Lori went to Christine's house to scare her into selling this house and just moving away. Allegedly, from the sale of this house, Alfred would have gotten half the money, which would have been around $26,000. The prosecution's main evidence was this gun evidence. If you remember back to part one, we learned that the ballistics testing showed that the bullet that killed Christine was fired from Alfred's off-duty weapon, which only he and Lori had access to. This is that same gun that Alfred's partner examined the night of the shooting and determined that it had not recently been fired or cleaned, which is still amazing to me that his partner is the one that's like, nope, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Let's move on. Right. So the prosecution also brings up this wig. If you remember, this wig had these blonde hairs that were allegedly found on the bandana by police, but no blonde hairs were actually found by the medical examiner. And the fact that Lori had access to Alfred's spare key to go into Christine's house. They also brought up the fact that the intruder into Christine's home was wearing a green jogging suit, according to the kids who were there that night. And Lori did own a green jogging suit. But this is the 80s. That makes total sense to me. I don't see a lot of those now, but I can see it in the 80s. So keep in mind, the kids also told the investigators that the intruder had the hands and voice of a man. So take for that what you will. The defense had a counter-argument for everything the prosecution laid out. They said there was no proof that the gun that Alfred and Michael looked at on May 28th was the same gun that was tested and identified as a murder weapon. Basically, they said, hey, these guns could have been switched. No big deal. No one's even paying attention to this. The defense said that they thought that Alfred likely gave police a different gun to inspect the morning of the killing. His partner, Michael, never actually recorded the serial number on the gun he was looking at. In fact, Michael's entire police notebook from that day was never found either. He either lost it or accidentally threw it away. I would be curious to know how often that happened. Yeah, if you have a police notebook, I feel like rule number one of having a police notebook is keep your police notebook right. and don't throw it away. <laughs> How do you throw things? I Every notebook I throw away in this house, I go through like a million times and I'm like, do we need to throw this away? Do we really need pictures of SpongeBob, 3,000 of them, or should I throw it away? But throwing something away with like a police, one, that doesn't even make sense to me. How do you even do that? Right. So the defense brings up the two pathologists who said that the gunshot wound found on Christine had come from a gun with a larger barrel than Alfred's off-duty gun. The defense did not suggest who the killer could have been or really offer any evidence pointing to another suspect, which they don't have to do. They just have to show reasonable doubt. There's no reason for them to bring their own suspect into the mix. So during the trial, Alfred himself said he believed that Lori was innocent. So Lori takes the stand in her trial, and the Washington Post said that while she's on the stand, Lori was, quote, peculiarly unemotional, speaking in a monotone, answering questions in monosyllables. But she dressed demurely and never wavered in her denial of guilt, end quote. I feel like that's the defense saying, 
you just answer what's been asked of you. You answer very short right. things like let's not do not tell a story on the stand. Don't offer up too many details exactly. that are not necessary. Exactly. Right. So the trial finally came to an end on March 9th, 1982. The jury deliberated for four days and ended up finding Lori guilty of first degree murder, which is interesting to me that the prosecution didn't even think she intentionally went there to kill her right. and they land on first degree murder. The jurors said they could not get past the gun evidence. One juror said, quote, we wanted to find any possible way to get the lady out of it, end quote. But this topic of that gun keeps coming up. At sentencing, the judge said, quote, this case was undoubtedly the most circumstantial case that I have ever seen, end quote. But the judge also felt that when all the pieces were put together, they really wove this inescapable net of one conclusion. Lori was then sentenced to life in prison, and this is really where the fun in the story begins. So while Lori was in prison, she, of course, appealed her conviction several times, and all of her appeals were denied. In one of her appeals, she actually said that she discovered this new evidence that Alfred had hired a hitman named Joseph Hecht to murder his wife. The appeal document stated that in late 1985, Joseph was serving a life sentence plus 26 years, I guess for another crime. This is in 1985 that he was in prison. So the murder happened before this. This was a few years later that she finds out that this man, Joseph, is in prison serving a life sentence plus 26 years. And he wrote a letter to Christine while he was also in jail saying that he was the one who was hired to kill Christine. Mm. And he said, yeah. So he said in this letter that he was told to go pick up a gun and $9,000 and that these two things were going to be in a trash can behind Christine Schultz's home. And he was going to pick those up the night that he went there to uh, carry out this hit on her. So at this point, Lori is like, okay, what is this? This could potentially be huge for me in my case. I need to get some help here. So yeah. she hired a private investigator and the private investigator went to the prison where Joseph was and spoke to him on Lori's behalf. And when he was kind of hearing Joseph's story, he started to realize, you know, Joseph actually knows a lot about the layout of Christine's house. And how would he know that? How would this random man know any of this? if he wasn't actually there in the house at some point. Right. So they looked further into it. The private investigator dug into where Joseph was the day of the murder. And he found that Joseph's employment records showed that he was not at work the day of Christine's murder, meaning, hey, he could actually be telling the truth. He could have actually been the one to do this. So the private investigator took all this information to the police and the police were intrigued. So they went to interview Joseph themselves. When they were talking to Joseph, he refused to say who had hired him, but he did tell them that Lori was not involved. The state ended up refusing to offer Joseph immunity in any way, so he, in turn, refused to testify to any of this. Hmm. Yeah, but it later came out that a guy named Jacob Whistler, who was allegedly in love with Lori, actually just paid Joseph to admit to the crime, even though he didn't actually do it. So Jacob, who, like I said, is just this guy who has this infatuation with Lori, he even went so far as to pose as a news reporter and interview Christine's father uh, to find out details about Christine's home. And so and then he relayed this information, allegedly, to Joseph. And Joseph then went to the police or, you know, then wrote this letter to Lori in jail saying, I did this and then told the police, you know, here's the details about the home, even though he didn't actually 
have anything to do Whoa. with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this kind of thing, though, like poor Lori, I feel like because she doesn't know this Jacob guy really, you know, from Adam, like he's just, you know, he knows of her story. He knows who she is. And he's like, hey, I like this lady. Let me, I guess, took it upon himself to try and help her out. But that does not make her look good. No, they have like things like this happening. And as you know, if I was in Lori's position, I would be so mad that somebody did that. Yeah, I mean. Oh my gosh. I was thinking it was somebody that she had known. I wasn't, I didn't fully realize that it was just somebody who heard about her story and did all this. And yes, that's okay. That's how did this story get more bananas, Mandy? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so much to it. There really is. So Lori later filed another appeal claiming that she had evidence that another guy, Frederick Horenberger was the killer. And if the name Frederick Horenberger sounds familiar, it probably does because it's not a name you hear every day, but we heard it last week. So uh, that was the guy who had a criminal record that Alfred was kind of palling around with at different pubs. Remember, the owner of the one pub that he was at the night of the murder said, hey, yeah, you know, he has worked, done work with this guy, Frederick, on my pub. I've seen them out at other pubs hanging out together. So that's Frederick Horenberger. So Frederick actually was arrested just a few weeks after Christine's murder for, get this, burglarizing the home of Lori's former roommate, who possibly could be Judy Zest, the same woman that was fired with her, you know, for smoking pot at this concert. So Frederick was actually convicted of this charge for breaking into the home of Lori's friend. And the MO of the burglary was very similar to that of Christine's home. Hmm. Frederick wore a ski mask and he tied up the victim and he was also known to wear his hair in a ponytail and he also had a green jogging suit, which again, as you said in the eighties, that could be a number of people. So Frederick also had this green jogging suit in question, you know, possibly in question. So Lori told the court that Frederick and Alfred had been working together to plan Christine's murder, but the appeals court said, "Mm, sorry, that's really just not enough to get you a new trial. So they, they really didn't accept that. But Lori kept trying and her appeals process really kept her very, very busy. But in the free time that she did have in prison, she also helped start an inmate newspaper and she worked towards and completed a bachelor's degree. Lori also ended up getting a divorce from Alfred. And after that, Alfred took off, packed his things and moved to Florida and started running a construction company. Yeah, of course. Where does everybody go when they want to get away? (laughs) They come here to Florida. (laughs) So Alfred actually, as I said, he started running this construction company. And once he got to Florida and got settled in and it's kind of starting to make his new life while Lori's away in prison, now he starts backtracking and starts changing his tune and telling people that, you know, he thinks now Lori is guilty of the crime. In late 1989, Lori also began dating again, and she started dating a guy named Dominic, who she met while he was at the prison visiting his sister. They saw each other, I guess, from across the room in the common area and said, hey, I like you. I like you. So they started dating hmm. and eventually they got engaged. And we're going to get into a lot more details of this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. As you guys know, we are Florida girls and the weather here is humid, 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 which means my hair is seven ways to bananas during most of the year. I've tried all different kinds of shampoos and conditioners, and still, I'm coming up empty and continue to have hair that looks as messy as I am. That was until I tried Pros. 
I've always bought shampoos based on my hair type, but Pros knows there's so much more to it than that. Pros creates customized hair care products for people and not just hair types. Tons of things affect your hair that you might not even realize. Things like where you live, your eating habits, and even how much you exercise. And that's why Pros has given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz, which is how we got started on our Pros journey. I was surprised to be asked about some things like my zip code, but because Pros is customized for the person, they know things like climate and weather can affect your hair and they take that into account as well. If you thought there were a ton of combinations to your Chipotle bowl, Pros has them beat. With their algorithm, there are over 50 billion formula combinations, giving you a formula that's as unique as you are. I'm obsessed with my shampoo, conditioner, and hair mask from Pros. My hair looks softer and shinier than ever before. In the last few years, my hair has been noticeably oilier, which I mentioned I was concerned about in the Pros quiz. I was a little nervous Pros wouldn't be able to help me in that arena since I've tried multiple products in the past that have fallen flat. First thing I did after washing my hair with Pros was pull it up in a ponytail. The typical oiliness I'd notice under my hair just wasn't there, making me a true Pros believer. Don't just take our word for it. If you aren't 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care product you've ever used, they'll take their products back, no questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair quiz and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com moms. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash moms for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. Many of us have fallen victim to fad diets throughout the years. One of my favorites that I fell for was a trendy juice cleanse. I lost weight quickly, but guess what? After just a week, I gained all the weight back plus two pounds. That's one of the many reasons I am so thankful to have found Noom. Noom isn't just about what you eat, but it's about how you eat. With Noom, I'm learning about eating, my cravings, and how to make new habits for myself. While I had fast results on fad diets, the weight always came back on because I didn't know how to make these new habits, but Noom is teaching me how. Part of Noom's goal is to help you learn to eat better to feel better. They want you to understand those cravings and learn how to shop for food for yourself. I also love that Noom teaches that no food is bad. Food is food. There's no punishing yourself for eating cookies or pizza, just encouragement to keep moving forward to feeling your best. I am inching to 40 years old and my body feels it every single day. My goal with Noom has simply been to feel better and to have more energy. And with Noom, I've been able to do just that. I'm more than six months into better daily habits and I feel better than I did in my 20s. And so much of that is what I've learned from Noom. Noom is based in psychology, so I'm learning why I make the choices I'm making and getting the tools to replace my old habits with healthier ones. And if you're looking for long-term success, look no further than Noom. Noomers are seeing so much success. Over 80% of all Noomers finish the program, and over 60% have continued on with their goals for at least a year. There's a science to getting healthier. It's called Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Learn how to eat again with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Ready to learn how to live healthier? Sign up for Noom today at N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. Now back to the episode. The following summer after meeting her new beau, Lori decides she doesn't want to be in prison any longer, so she starts thinking of a way to escape. On July 15th, 1990, Lori got that opportunity. She was down in the prison laundry room doing her laundry when she notices this window that's wide open. She thought maybe that maintenance was working on this window because usually they have the stays in place to prevent them from fully opening, but this one was all the way open. Lori didn't hesitate. 
she climbed right out of that window. I just want to know, Melissa, how long would you stand there and think about that before you did that? A hundred. I would never do it. I would never do it. I would think I was on prison punked and prison Ashton Kutcher was going to come out. You, just waiting. Yeah. For you. yeah. <laughs> I would love to think I would do it, but I just don't. I, I would already be thinking the consequences. I'm going to get caught. I feel like if you are going to escape from prison, like this is the way, like that's how you would have to do it though. Like you just have to get lucky and take the opportunity. And that's what she did. She saw the, she saw her open window. Literally. literally and she <laughs> went out it. <laughs> no, totally. I agree. So she makes it over the barbed wire fence. She runs into the wood where Dominic was waiting for her. We assume that she either saw this window. That was what I was trying to figure out. She may have seen this window, said, hey, Dominic, I'm out of here. You, you might want to get the car uh, heated up and yeah. running. Um, but she was able to meet with him, and they end up taking off to Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. So she stays there for the next three months hiding out. They took on assumed names of Jennifer and Tony. Lori immediately gets a job waitressing, but she's constantly paranoid about getting caught. I'm sorry. Why is Lori oh. working? This, isn't this crazy? I mean, I get you it's have crazy. to have money. Yeah. Well, it's crazy because of the fact that this was already such a highly publicized case in trial. And I imagine, you know, Lori had this look about her. She was very young. She had a specific look. That was a thing that they really touched on a lot yeah. when she was in the media. And it's like her face is out there. She's definitely recognizable. So without doing something really to alter your appearance, I can't believe that she waitressing. Just, I, I just yeah, I just can't believe it. You see so many so many people see your face at a waitressing job. That's just a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. Well, at the same time, though, who would think she would go become a waitress? I would never right. think that. Ever, ever, ever in a million years. So Lori, though, ends up having plenty of supporters after her escape. People seem really happy that she's escaped prison. And, you know, a lot of these people believe she was truly innocent. They even had a 300-person rally that was held to celebrate her escape from her prison. Restaurants, which is odd already, uh, seeing as she was a waitress, even end up having menu items that are named after or dedicated to Lori. Oh my gosh. Yeah. One tavern even held a Lori lookalike contest. Okay. I just feel like this is really, I mean, it, it's outrageous. I, I, does this happen anymore? I've never heard of this. No, I'm trying to think of something where people, like, I can't think of another escape where people were cheering. Most of the time they're terrified. Uh, any escape yeah. I've heard of, people are terrified. They're not like, come on down to the bar and let's see who looks like this person. That's, that sounds like what a police officer would do. They'd be like, let's right. look like, see, who, see if she shows up. So people end up wearing shirts that say run Bambi run. As you'll remember, her nickname that she hated was Bambi. And they even had cardboard cutouts of her face. What? <laughs> I just don't understand. It just seems... It just seems unreal that this was a real case and people were really doing all this. It does. I mean, and in, in, I don't know. I don't I don't know enough about technology, but in the 80s, they could have even done that. That makes me I, I'm old enough to know better not to say that, but I don't know how things work. Um, this is so insane to me. So it's it is insane. It's total madness. They even have TV stations have call in polls asking if viewers thought that she was guilty or innocent. And five out of six Milwaukee residents surveyed thought she was innocent. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I mean, too bad they weren't on the jury. 
but uh, right? yeah, and that's not really, uh, that's not going to do much for her. So 75% said if they knew where Lori was, they would not turn her in. And the oh my other 25% was Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> so the Milwaukee Magazine said that, quote, the media helped galvanize huge public sympathy for her, end quote. And the assistant DA, Gail Hoffman, said she believed the only reason Lori was getting so much support was because she, quote, has blonde hair, is a very attractive woman, and can speak to men, end quote. So when Alfred hears about this jailbreak, he is not happy. He's really scared of what she could possibly do. So he ends up installing a surveillance system around his home in Florida. And he said she was capable of anything and, quote, a consummate liar who uses a lot of people, end quote, which is interesting because he was, you know, speaking high of her or you know speaking highly of her saying she wouldn't have done this this didn't happen and then something changed and to me that something that changed seemed to be um and you were saying this too that whenever people start looking at him as a possible suspect then he's like well you know let's go back to Lori. (laughs) let's let's look at that it does seem that way so he claimed that Lori had a dark side and that she abused drugs and said he had no doubt that she would kill again Wow. That's like totally different even than just saying like, oh yeah, I think she did this. But then to take it a step further and be like, yeah, she's a psychopath and like she will kill again. Like that's, to me, just that all that's a little bit suspicious to me. I just don't, I don't know that I believe that. (laughs) With you. About three months after her escape, Lori's picture and her information was blasted on America's Most Wanted. A customer at the restaurant that she worked at actually recognized her from the show, which of course, and- this customer reported Lori to the police. On October 17th, Lori was finally tracked down and she was rearrested. But at this point, she applies for refugee status in Canada. So Dominic was also arrested for aiding and abetting a prison escape, and he was found guilty and sentenced to just one year in prison. Lori hired Canadian lawyers to represent her, and these Canadian attorneys tried to convince the Canadian immigration that Lori was being framed for murder in Milwaukee due to, quote, her complaints about sexual discrimination and allegations of departmental corruption. So Lori was released on bail, but the very next day she was sent back to jail for a formal extradition process to begin. 21 months later, Lori was finally returned to the U.S. and sent back to the Milwaukee prison that she escaped from. Only this time, they put her in solitary confinement and left her there for the next seven months. But while she is back in confinement, another private investigator named Ira Robbins and a former medical examiner named Chelsea Irwin requested an independent John Doe investigation into Christine's murder and the handling of this investigation. So, Melissa, I wasn't very familiar with John Doe investigations. Are you? Do you know anything really about them? No, I don't. Mm-mm. I, I Well, I'm not about to tell you very much about them, but, <laughs> but it's kind of just like an under-the-radar kind of thing, you know, but these professionals are carrying it out. So in August of 1992, this John Doe investigation found that significant mistakes were made in the investigation, in the original investigation, but that there was no reason to believe that any of the mistakes that were made were done so intentionally. They found that the police did mishandle evidence and they dropped the ball on a few things like they failed to seize Alfred's off-duty weapon right away and they did not document the gunshot wound and bullet properly at the crime scene. The John Doe investigation also found that Frederick Horenberger actually told 
eight different people that he killed Christine, but he ended up recanting that confession before he died in 1991. However, they also felt that some of the eight people he told this to were not very credible, so none of it really held a lot of weight to the police. Yeah. After learning the results of this investigation, Lori's attorney filed a motion for a new trial. But before the motion was decided on, the DA's office actually made Lori an offer. And they were saying, hey, if you plead no contest to second degree murder, you will get 20 years in prison. So with this deal, Lori would actually be released from prison immediately and she would be able to serve her remaining time on parole, which really is a good deal. And not surprisingly, Lori said, okay, yeah, I'll take that. It does kind of sting for Lori because part of the deal with pleading guilty or no contest to second degree murder was that she was going to be giving up her right to ever claim innocence as well as any right to an appeal. So it kind of does, you know, it's kind of like one of those double-edged swords. Right, exactly. But she said though that she took this deal because she thought the prosecution still had the test bullet that the police used to match the murder bullet. Um, way back in the 80s, and she thought that she could use the test bullet to prove that she was innocent someday. However, as I said, she would never be able to do that because part of the deal was that she would not be able to do something like that. So Lori later said that she just wanted out of prison, you know, while her family, you know, her parents were still alive and she wanted to be able to live her life. So taking this deal, she felt was really her only option. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like I agree. I would, I mean... Life would be really hard because you do have this following you around like that you have accepted, you know, quote unquote, you've accepted some level of guilt in this crime. But oh, to be out of prison, though, like, I I don't know, I feel like you would just have to figure it out and make it work. But I would much rather that than to be in jail for something, especially if I didn't commit the crime. Yeah, I can understand how people reach both decisions though where some people say absolutely not I'm never I will leave here innocent or I don't leave here at all I can understand how somebody would do that but I feel completely can understand how somebody would say no I just want out I'm not guilty I will say I am just get me out I I can see both ways I think I would fall into the just get me out of here but I can understand because you have no legal ramifications whatsoever you can't sue the state for a penny it's over you have a criminal record and whether you say you're innocent or not, people are going to say, well, you said you were guilty. And, right. and that's it. That's that's for the rest of your life. Right. So the state really wanted to strike this deal with Lori and, of course, really encouraged her to do so because lots of time and money had been spent on her case already up to this point. And a no contest to second degree murder would mean that the state really didn't have to put any resources behind this case anymore because, you know, It would be over. Like we said, they don't have to worry about her fighting with more appeals. So they have to dump more money into attorneys to go through the court process with all that. And they obviously it's in the state's best interest for Lori to take this deal. And then they felt that she would also still be receiving punishment, quote unquote, even though, you know, she served a little time in prison. She escaped. She got sent back to prison. And now they said you can serve, you know, serve out the remaining 20 years of your sentence on parole. So to them, they're like, hey, It's a win-win. She gets a punishment. We don't have to keep spending money on this. And she gets out of prison. Everybody's happy. That was kind of the, that was kind of the way they were going with that. I personally think it was a very fair deal to offer her. I think it's a crappy deal on her end. And like we said, it does kind of suck for her, but I feel like it was not a bad, I mean, it's better than than some people get offered. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if she wasn't truly guilty, then it's still, it's, it's awful. 
So life after prison really wasn't too bad for Lori, at least not at first. She became somewhat of a celebrity. She appeared in different tabloids, on talk shows, and even had a visit with Oprah. Lori really wanted to clear her name, though, even after all of this. So she writes a book called Woman on Trial, which was published by HarperCollins. In this book, Lori said, quote, so much garbage has been written about me and how I look, as if that's all there is, end quote. She said the media twisted her entire life to look like something that it wasn't. She said she worked at the Playboy Club as a waitress for three weeks in Lake Geneva, but the media would continually call her a Playboy bunny and claimed that she posed nude for the magazine, which wasn't even true. She also gave several speeches and several TV shows were made about her. Lori also loved to paint and her art was featured in an exhibit at University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Art was very therapeutic for her following her release from prison. In 1994, Lori ended up changing her name legally from Laurencia to Lori. But being so well-known was not always a good thing for Lori. She had a really hard time finding a job, and this really weighed on her. She once said, quote, I'm tired of being Lori Bembenek. Any face would do, end quote. By February of 1996, Lori was struggling and had resorted to some old habits. She ended up testing positive for marijuana during a parole drug screen and admitted that she'd also used cocaine once while she was on parole. As a result, Lori was made to wear an ankle bracelet and be confined to her home for 20 hours a day. Things began going poorly for Lori in other aspects of her life as well at this time. She began to have health issues that were surfacing from hepatitis C, which Lori actually contracted in utero while her mom was pregnant with her. She ended up losing 40 pounds and started sleeping a lot, around 15 hours a day. She was in and out of the hospital several times and was placed on antidepressants. Lori wanted to be closer to her family, and in July of 1996, she was given permission to move to Washington State, where her parents lived. While she was in Washington State, things really started to improve for her. She was a lot happier being there. She started working as a counselor for women who had criminal past or had had trouble with the law. Her boss said she was really natural at this job and she was very passionate about it. In 1997, Lori began dating a man named Marty Carson. On the first date, I love this story, Lori just lays it out on the table and she literally watches the miniseries that was made about her life (laughs) and her story with this guy. And so at the end, she says, do you have any questions? And he's like, no, but he really thought she was innocent after seeing all of that. I'm sure she obviously had told him, you know, up front that this is what they're watching. But I just like picture like a first date and her being like, hey, do you want to watch a true crime documentary? By the way, it is about me. <laughs> like, you I know? like it. I like the idea of her just sitting there and not saying it's about her and just being like, how long until he figures out? <laughs> yeah, they're like, there's another Lori. Yeah, that's so crazy. So in 2001 or 2002, Lori ended up having about 30 of her art pieces displayed at a local art gallery. Unfortunately, the gallery burned down and it actually destroyed all of Lori's artwork. This was extremely upsetting to her and she needed really emotional support constantly after this took place. Although things were starting to get better, Lori still suffered from PTSD after her time in prison and specifically her time in solitary confinement. She took antidepressants and self-medicated with alcohol at times. On April 14th, 2002, Lori's parole was over and she was finally, finally, officially a free woman again, just one day before her 44th birthday. And we're going to get back into more of the story, there's still more, 
After one last break to hear word from this week's sponsors. I'm someone that loves checklists. Everything I do in life is ruled by a checklist. For me, buying a bra is no different. I'm looking for comfort, a great fit, and a cute style. Most of my life, though, I've had to abandon my checklist when it comes to buying a bra because I haven't found a bra that's a great fit, comfortable, and cute. That is until Third Love. Third Love is all about the checklist, and now's the perfect time to break up with your bad bra and fall in love with the best bras and underwear with Third Love. Third Love believes you can have comfort, a great fit, and a cute style all in one. Check, check, check. Thanks to the fitting room with Third Love, over 18 million women have found their true bra size, and you should be next. Third Love is way better than the traditional bra fitting experience. With Third Love, you can try on your bra in the comfort of your own home. My Third Love bra is so comfortable, I now own three, and I have no plans to ever buy a different brand. Third Love knows your one true fit is out there, so right now they're offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 20% off today. Spring is in bloom and it's my favorite time of year. The flowers are here, the birds are chirping, there's so, so much chirping, but that's because our feathered friends are just signaling what we all know. Spring is finally here. To me, spring is the perfect time to relax and rejuvenate, and fat that fun agrees with me, which is why their spring box is centered around the theme of grow forth and whatever that might mean for you in your life. I've received fat fit fun boxes every season for almost two years, and I'm still so giddy every time one arrives. In this season's box, I was excited to see that Cocoa Floss Tropical Trio flavored dental floss was in the box. I got three fun flavors, which has made it super easy to convince my kids and myself to floss more often. FabFitFun is your one-stop shop for self-care. I'm so excited every time a new box comes in because I already know I'm going to find my new favorite things. One of my must-haves in this newest box is the Billion Dollar Brows Six-Piece Pro Brush Essentials Kit. These brushes are amazing quality and they definitely elevate my makeup game, which can be described as a hot mess. And as a FabFitFun member, I get early access to products like this, as well as early shipping, which makes my FabFitFun box something I get so excited about each and every season, including having over 20 female-founded brands in the spring box. Order your spring box today. Sign up now so you can snag amazing products like the Billion Dollar Brows Six-Piece Pro Brush Essentials Kit or Cocoa Floss when you customize. Use coupon code MOMS for $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. Order your spring box today. Sign up now so you can snag amazing products like the Billion Dollar Brows Six-Piece Pro Brush Essentials Kit or Cocoa Floss when you customize. Use coupon code MOMS for $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery, 
delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were just talking about how Lori Bembenek had been finally released from parole, and it was just one day shy of her 44th birthday. So after Lori was released from parole, her attorney got an order for DNA testing of some of the materials from the crime scene from all those years ago. Unfortunately, this type of testing was very costly. It was going to cost about twenty to $30,000. So in order, yes, oh my gosh. But this is what could clear her name, potentially. So this is really important right. to worry. So she ended up writing to the Dr. Phil show and asked them to pay for the testing in exchange for an exclusive interview with Lori herself. So Dr. Phil, of course, this is right up his alley. He agrees, their show agrees to do this. But the condition was, of course, that they have to be allowed to reveal the results of this test on air. Of course, that would be... Yeah, that would be what they would be interested in. Yeah, for the TV, for the television special. So for the Lori, TV, <laughs> yeah, for the TV, for the TV people. So Lori was all set to appear on Dr. Phil. So I don't know why, but I love the fact that Dr. Phil is a part of the story. I don't know. I think you probably watched Dr. Phil at some point in your life, Melissa. I'm sorry. I, I feel like you I'm did. sorry. I feel like you definitely did. I Based did. On what? For sure. Oh, 100 percent. I did. I absolutely <laughs> did. And then I used to keep up with like the Dr. Phil family. Oh my gosh, I want to look them up and see oh, what everyone's doing. That family where the yes. girl and then the parents are divorced and But the parents were like so awful. And they had they two hated daughters. Everyone. Oh yeah. my gosh. I have to go look them up now. I have to go find out who they are. Okay, I am off on a Dr. Phil tangent. But anyway, I love Dr. Phil and I love that Dr. Phil was going to be a part of this story. It was just Another part of the story when I got to, I was like, Dr. Phil, like, can we add any, what, what's the other next craziest thing what's we can left? add into this one? Yeah, exactly. So she was all set to appear on Dr. Phil and she flew to LA the day before she was supposed to tape the show. While she was in LA, they kept Lori in an apartment and they had all these guards around her. Um, and they said that this was to shield her from media reports about her case. So she was not given any phone, no radio, no TV. And all of these things made her really anxious and gave her flashbacks to being in solitary confinement in the prison. I'm not really sure what the purpose of this would be, why the Dr. Phil show would care if she saw media reports about her case for whatever reason, they didn't want her to have access, you know, 
the day of or right before she was supposed to go on camera, you know, for this interview. Hmm. So as I said, this is making her really anxious. She doesn't have anything to do. She's locked in this apartment. There's guards outside. And now she's having flashbacks, you know, mental and she's feeling these physical same things that she felt when she was in solitary confinement. And so this led her to kind of having a little bit of a mental break. And she thought, I need to get out of here. I have to escape. So she tried to escape from this apartment. She was on the second floor. And so she tied bed sheets together and attempted to escape from the window on the second floor. Oh my gosh. She ended up falling and she broke her right foot. This unfortunately was a very severe injury. She actually severed an artery in her foot, which later became a bigger problem mm. when it got infected. This is just awful, awful, awful. Yeah. So a few weeks after this happened, a few weeks after this fall and her foot becomes infected, they tell her, very sorry, we have to amputate the foot. So yeah. she had her foot amputated. And she actually sued the Dr. Phil show because basically saying, like, why did you have me locked up like I was a prisoner and yeah. you didn't give me access to anything? And like, this never would have happened if I could have had a comfortable room and a place to stay while I was there. It was treated differently while I was there, you know, in L.A. And uh, she actually won. She got a settlement from the Dr. Phil show. Hmm. Yeah. So this injury was a major setback for Lori, obviously. And she never really was able to adjust or accept her new life as an amputee. And she just rejected everything that she had to do, you know, in order to live her life, you know, in this new way. She didn't want to use crutches. She didn't want to be in a wheelchair. So she insisted on crawling everywhere she went, which meant mm. that her knees and legs were just badly scraped and bruised all the time. And of course she became very depressed. She was not able to walk. And one of the things that she loved to do was to take long walks. And all of this is very oh, upsetting. Yeah, this is very, I mean, she's already been through so much at this point. And then to now have your foot amputated. Around the same time, Lori was also diagnosed with diabetes. And it was really just like this wave of terrible things happening in her life. Um, her mom passed away. And then 18 months later, her dad also passed away. Eventually, items and materials from the crime scene were tested, you know, the tests that they were trying right. to go on Dr. Phil for funding. So eventually those things did get tested. And when the results came in, they showed no evidence of Lori's DNA at the crime scene. The tests also showed that Christine had recently had sex before her death. And her boyfriend at the time when he was interviewed, Stuart, who, as we said, was also another police officer, told the um, investigators that they had not been intimate together in about 10 days. So they were thinking now it's possible that Christine may have been sexually assaulted before she was murdered. And then it came out that earlier in the investigation, very early on, the state crime lab actually classified the murder as a possible sexual assault case. And this was kind of a big deal because that yeah. was never, yeah, that was never, nothing really ever came of that at the time. No, they kind of swept that possibility under the rug and went forward with this other, you know, with the, a different direction with the investigation. Right. So Lori eventually petitioned the court to review the new DNA evidence, which they did. Um, the judge ordered the prosecutors to give the defense the test bullet that was fired from Alfred's off-duty gun, since that was their main evidence in the original case against Lori. And the claim was that the bullet matched the murder bullet, and that's what ultimately led to Lori's conviction. It was these jurors that said, you know, we couldn't get past the fact that they said this was the gun that was used to kill right. Christine, and they just couldn't get past the fact that Lori was the only one with access to that gun. So now the judge is saying, yes, you need to give this test bullet to the 
uh, defense so that they can kind of vet the whole thing themselves and see what's going on here. So unfortunately, though, and I feel like this is always it's just always one of it's just always something. Right. So unfortunately. Yeah. So the test bullet that was used the first time was actually destroyed in a flood that happened in 1986. So they had to use a new test bullet for this ballistics test. Yeah. So the new test with the new bullet showed conflicting results to what the original test found. And it found that the bullet did not match the murder bullet. So the test bullet that was fired that they put through the gun that allegedly was the murder weapon, they found on this test, it did not match the bullet that was found uh, at the crime scene. So very interesting findings that they're finding all these years later. Yeah. So in 2005, a deposition was held and several things were revealed to the court, including that there may have been evidence of this sexual assault against Christine that was withheld. Former state crime lab serology analyst Diane Hansen actually admitted that she withheld evidence of sexual assault. She simply didn't give the evidence to her boss who performed the autopsy on Christine's body. What are the I don't consequences for that. this? I know. And like, why wouldn't you? That is everything. Every single detail in something like this is so important. You have to log everything that you see. There's I just I don't understand that how you could be in that profession and be like, oh, this is no big deal. This is not important for me to, you know, to write in these notes or anything like how do you just not? I don't get that. And what happens next? If if I was in some kind of case and she handled any of my stuff, we'd be going right back to court because, you know, if you're the another attorney saying, well, right. clearly she doesn't give all the information, this makes so many more problems. So the ME later said that if she knew about the evidence, she would have ruled Christine's death as a likely sexual assault homicide and the murderer being male, which changes everything. 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 Interestingly, tests that were conducted in 1981 actually linked the murder weapon to a Milwaukee Police Department gun. A crime lab employee alleged that Alfred's police-issued gun actually had blood on it that was later found to be the same type as Christine's blood. According to the Wisconsin State Journal, the employee said that, quote, crime lab reports he supervised were changed to make it appear that the murder bullet came from the off-duty weapon when, in fact, the initial reports identified it as matching Alfred's police-issued gun, end quote. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this employee further said that he was not aware that the original test bullets were missing until years later. So Wow. Yeah. Despite this new information, the Court of Appeals declined to reopen the case since... Lori had given up her appeal rights whenever she pleaded no contest as second-degree murder. Oh, my gosh. What a nightmare. Oh but honestly, none of this would have been done if she had stayed in prison. You know what I mean? So True. this was yeah. her only way to get this done. And then, unfortunately, nothing can really be done. I mean, she knows and people know now, I guess. The U.S. Supreme Court also refused to reopen this case. So Lori tries to get on with her life and live some semblance of normalcy. And on June 12th, 2005, Lori and Marty ended up getting married. Things went really well at first, but Lori's mental health continued to decline. The couple divorced in March of 2007, and Lori actually moved into a house just across the street, and she and Marty stayed friends. Lori's health sadly continued to deteriorate pretty rapidly from this point on. Sometime in 2009, she actually moved back in with her ex-husband, Marty, because she physically could not care for herself alone anymore. She was very thin and had a hard time eating or keeping food down, and she was sleeping constantly. She was really, really sick. In October of 2010, Lori did a media interview in her home. 
the reporter named Mike Jacobs asked Lori to rate her life on a scale from one to 10. Lori said it was a two. Oh, so sad. So terrible. Heartbreaking. Yeah. So she said she did not kill Christine, said she never even wanted kids and killing Christine would have meant that she'd have two stepkids with Alfred. She said that for her part, she believed that Alfred hired a hitman to kill Christine, but admitted that she had no real evidence to support this. So just a few days after this interview was taped, Lori was in such poor condition that Marty took her to an urgent care clinic. They sent her right to the hospital emergency room and she was admitted to the hospital. She stayed there for two weeks going in and out of consciousness. Doctors really couldn't figure out how to help her, so they ended up sending her to hospice. It was learned then that she was in liver and kidney failure. On November 20th, 2010, Lori passed away at just 52 years old. Her sister said that she had went downhill very, very quickly. Two years later, at the age of 64, Alfred also passed away. This story just makes me so, like, sad, kind of, because I just feel like Lori, I will I will definitely say I think Lori was innocent of this crime. Me too. I'm sure there are people who have different opinions, and that is fine if you think that Lori was involved in this murder. Personally, I don't. Um, I don't, I do agree that it, it kind of is a little... Uh, you know, it's kind of when someone's alibi is they were at home sleeping, but Hey, that is a legitimate alibi. <laughs> like, you know, right. it was the middle of the night. She was at home sleeping. How do you prove that? So I believe that's what she was doing. I don't think she had anything to do with the murder. And I just feel terrible for everything that she had to go through being in prison and being convicted of this and just having to kind of settle for this admission that she was guilty, yeah. even though she wasn't. And then I feel like even when she was truly free from, you know, from parole and from everything, she never really got to live her life. And I feel like it was just one terrible thing after another. And like, I it just is heartbreaking when you hear her say that she rated her life a two, you know, from one right. to 10, because we all only get one life. Like, it just is so sad to me that she didn't enjoy the time she had. Like, it's just it really does. This this case really made me very sad. Right. And at the center of this is Christine Schultz, who has been murdered and really doesn't seem like there was any justice done for her murder, no. you know? No, there, there wasn't. It doesn't seem like it was Lori. So somebody literally got away with murder. And so Christine is no longer alive. And Lori had no life. I mean, 22 years old, this all starts happening. It just, that's everything. That's your, that's your whole life. She only lived to be 52. I mean, and it was just all of this all the time. I mean, just, oh, I can't even imagine it. So if we find any pictures, I want to see if there's any pictures of the run Bambi run and stuff. If so, I'll post it on social media. I'm sure there is. And we'll post that because it's, the whole thing is kind of unreal. Just all the things that went on in this story, you almost feel like Brett Michaels is going to appear at some point because right. why not? It was the 80s. <laughs> you do, yeah. But there's just like, okay, and then this, and then this. So yeah, it was a very interesting story and just sad all the way around, but just unreal how all these things can be hidden and you know pushed to the side and ignored and you just think it shouldn't work that way. Right. And like you said, there was no justice for Christine. There was never anybody else, you know, tried or convicted of her murder. And Alfred also has passed away now. So, you know, if he had anything to do with it, then we will never truly know. And and that's another sad thing about, you know, I, I hate cases where there's for the family's sake. I hate when there's no real justice or conclusion and they just have to live like without really all the answers. And I know that's really hard and just a terrible, just terrible Just another story. layer to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Melissa, are you ready to move on to our last thing before we go for the week? I am. 
So Melissa last week kind of <laughs> kind of set us up for a crazy lossing before we go this week because she said, hey, don't forget to come back and listen to part two. I'm going to tell a secret. So I was like, well, wait, are we actually telling secrets or are we going to do something else? So anyway, we got I panicked. together. We decided that we just don't have any secrets, first of all. But then secondly, we do have things that we maybe haven't shared on the podcast before that are Maybe not secrets, but maybe they're just embarrassing. So we don't tell these stories very often. So like, do we want to tell 90,000 people these things? No, which is why we haven't told them. So think of this as a secret we've kept in. We've known about these things, but we haven't shared because they are humiliating. So yeah, I hope you're excited. We haven't told each other the stories, but Mandy gave me a clue about hers. And I said, oh my gosh, mine's the same thing. So if talk of periods or menstruation bothers you, here's the time to turn it off because apparently yes. both of our stories have to do with that. <laughs> oh, okay. Mandy, do you want to start off or do you want me to start off? I would love for you to start off. Okay. Mandy, I was a late bloomer. I did not get my time of the month, my period until I was 14. I was also a know-it-all at 14. So we were going to the beach and we were going camping in Fernandina Beach, which is kind of near Jacksonville, one of my favorite beaches. And we were going camping. And so my mom was like, hey, we're going to be at the ocean. Do you want to move on from pads and try tampons? And I was like, okay. She's like, well, here's the instructions. I said, I don't need them. I know what I'm doing. And (laughs) (laughs) so we're there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday, I do what I think you do. And I um, use the tampon. And I am like, this is not comfortable. My mom was like, if it's not comfortable, you're not doing it right. I'm like, I'm fine. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm not stupid. Well, I was stupid. And I'm talking, we were riding bikes on the beach. And I was like, what is going on? This is not okay. Applicator or the thing is literally coming out. I don't know why. This is so graphic. I end up getting the directions on Sunday. So I've done this for three days. I didn't know you took the applicator out. Oh, so, oh, Mandy, no. it was like up to my esophagus fighting to get out of my body. And I was riding bikes, going swimming. I'm sure oh, like no. <laughs> just horrific. And I just remember being like, oh, well, why didn't my mom tell me? And then I was like, OK, because you're a jerk. That's why yeah. she didn't <laughs> Three full days. My sister, I was like, Megan, do you remember any stories about me? And she starts listing things. And she's like, what about whenever you forgot that an applicator or you didn't know an applicator? I was like, oh, that's someone. <laughs> so you're welcome. Oh, my gosh. OK, so mine is oddly some it's in the same vein. It's the same kind of story um, about that. And so I also have a horrific experience with tampons and it was my first time ever using a tampon. I may have told you this before, uh, this crazy story. So I was not a late bloomer. I actually started my cycle very early. I was about 11, but I didn't use, yeah, I didn't use tampons until I was much older. I was in high school, probably about 14 or 15, like just like you were. And uh, I actually had to like ask my mom, you know, I asked for permission. I said, Hey, is it okay if I try this out? And she was like, yeah, sure. If you want to. She warned me that I probably wasn't going to like it and it was not going to be a fun time. So I was very nervous. I, you know, was getting ready for school one morning. I went in the bathroom trying to use a tampon for the first right. time. And like you said, like it's it's a process when you're doing this. So I did what I think you do. And uh, <laughs> so afterwards, I like got curious. 15 year old me. I'm like, well, how does it work? Where did it go? What, how does, how, what, what's going on? Oh gosh, how do I get it out? (laughs) Yeah, yes, exactly. And so I decided to like, 
I was still sitting, but like I kind of bent over to kind of like check things out and like inspect it. Well, I don't know if it was I, I, I don't know. I got very lightheaded and started feeling like very. No. Like, yes. Like I started. I, I don't know. It gave me like some kind of anxiety. I don't know. And then the, the whole thing like I had. I don't know what happened. Said, but <laughs> I like walked out of the bathroom and I was like getting ready for school. Like I said, it was early in the morning. My mom was in the kitchen making breakfast and I walked out and I had to walk past the kitchen to go to my room. Well, at this point, I'm like feeling very faint. Like I feel like I'm actually going to faint and um, nothing has even happened. Like all I did was use a tampon and just like check it out. And then <laughs> I just started feeling really dizzy. And so I walked past my mom and I was like, she turned around and looked at me and she was like, what's the matter? I said, Oh, I don't feel really well. And she was like, yeah, she goes, you are like white as a sheet. She was like, why don't you go in your room and lay down? Well, I made it through my bedroom door and then I passed out, like oh hit my the gosh. floor. And so I like came to my mom is like in standing over me and she was like, what's going on? Like, are you okay? Like thinking like, does she need to take me to the emergency room? Like what? Like yeah. from her perspective, <laughs> like her 15 year old daughter is just randomly passed out in like at nine 30 in the morning or like whatever time it was. Yeah. And so I had to tell her like, no, I don't know. I think I think I just got, I think I just had like, I don't know. I fainted. I put a tampon in and fainted. That's like the only explanation <laughs> I could really give. And so I didn't go to school that day, obviously. And all was well. Nothing was really wrong with me. And I still to this day can't figure out what happened there. Yeah. Like, I don't know if like, I don't know. I just got very, I don't know. Something about it really freaked me out and made me literally pass out. So Listen, I don't is- need to see how the sausage is made. I don't need to know what's going on down there. So you're brave. <laughs> I don't want directions. I will just ride my bike in horrible, horrible pain, but I'm not looking. Not looking. No. Yeah. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend no. looking. That, that didn't, that did not work out well for me. Oh my gosh. Do you want one more quick embarrassing story? Cause I was trying to decide between two and I think you will laugh at this and it's not period related and okay. I'll just show this. So when I was in, this is like around the same time. So we were at the beach. We did all these camping trips to the beach, never stayed in a hotel until I was like in high school. So we, um, or maybe college, I don't even know. So I'm wearing these like leather shoes, like, you know, the Jesus sandals kind of oh, yeah. similar to that in the water at the ocean. So I wear them in the water. We go back home. I go to school and a kid in my class is like, I think I'm like in eighth grade. He's like, what's that smell? And, or I'm probably ninth <laughs> grade. And I'm like, oh crap. Like I had already smelled it, you know, at some point that day and was like, this is not good. And he was like, there's something that smells. And other people are like, something smells in this classroom. And the teacher went around and figured out it was my shoes and my shoes he put outside of the door. So no. for the rest of <laughs> me and my feet. Oh, maybe this is where my feet problems came from. My feet were exposed oh, to the whole class. Isn't that terrible. You're, oh my gosh, Melissa. <laughs> Does this that explain a lot? Yeah. Is. The teacher's like this. I mean, he used a ruler to pick them up and bring them out. Like it was a whole How thing. Embarrassing. Yeah. Well, the fact that they like made a, a whole show of it, like, ew, Melissa, your stinky feet and your stinky sandals have to go outside. Like I would be, I would just never go back to school. <laughs> Guys, this is the secret. The secret is my genesis of my hatred of feet. We, we got there. We got there. There's your secret. Oh boy. I'm sorry. <laughs> And I feel like I could come up with about 3,000 of those kind of stories because that's just my life. But yeah, that was that was fun. That was fun, Mandy. I yeah. enjoyed laughing at yeah. those. Those were It terrible. just reminds me, though, like just even talking about that, about 
crazy stories, you know, from like middle school and high Mm -hmm. school and stuff. Like, oh my gosh, I just don't miss that time of my life. It was so awful. It was so, so, so awful. So this one is not really embarrassing to me. This is just a crazy thing that popped into my head randomly about that time of my life. I was Uh in, I think seventh or eighth grade and there was a girl at school and she like I just remember it being it ended up turning into a whole thing because there was one morning we were walking to class like the bell had rang so everybody's kind of moving about and she had a giant safety pin and literally just walked around the school stabbing people like poking people with this safety pin yes and so she poked me with it in the chest like I had walked past her and it was a girl that I knew and so like I had even said hi to her and she walked past me and stabbed me in like the chest area with a safety pin and it went in and everything and it took me a second to realize what was going on and then I realized that people around me also were like what the heck just happened what's going on and so anyway there ended up being like 26 kids that got stabbed with this like safety pin and we all had to go to like to the you know administration's (gasps) office and everybody had to like be checked out because obviously there are things like bloodborne pathogens and like other things like you can't just go poking like 26 kids at school with a safety pin but oh my gosh (laughs) so like yeah oh my gosh I have so I do have a lot of crazy stories from like my teenage years but not all of them are like me being crazy some of them are just crazy like getting poked with a safety pin that's bananas this year's my 20th high school high school reunion I don't think they're doing anything for it but I've had these like because it's the 20th year, just like these memories, you know, people are posting about stuff and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, could we forget all of that ever happened? Could you just meet me now and just pretend you didn't know me then? Because sadly, yeah. I'm better now than I was then. That's not yeah. saying much. Imagine how <laughs> terrible it was before. So, oh gosh, I probably had a nickname or something with my stinky shoes. Man, this is really, this has been a fish rough feet. night. Fish feet. <laughs> I'm going to start calling you fish feet. No, please don't. Please don't. (laughs) Okay, I won't. All right. I won't. (laughs) I won't. All right, Melissa, that was very enlightening. I feel like I learned a lot. (laughs) Yes. More than most people wanted to know. So we will see you guys back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.